it is. The holy grail of Christmas gifts, the Red Ryder 200-shot range model air rifle. Ralphie, what would you like for Christmas? Horrified, I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle. What I want for Christmas is a Red Ryder BB gun with a compass and a stock and this thing which tells time. Wow, that's great. A Red Ryder BB gun with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. No, shoot your eye out. Oh no, it was the classic mother BB gun block. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> oh no. You'll shoot your eye out? My mother must have gotten to Miss Shields. There could be no other explanation. You'll shoot your eye out! You'll shoot your eye out! <laughs> no, no, I want an official red under cover and I should do it and get my leg rifle. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's time to start talking about BB guns. Um, man, I don't know if you, if you uh, recognize this movie, if you know it or not. Uh, it's, it's a classic Christmas movie. There was a network that played this, this, uh, this movie 24 hours straight during Christmas. Anybody remember that? Uh, and so some, some families grew up with it in their house all day long on Christmas. Uh, others uh, weren't allowed to watch it, and probably for good reason. Um, but it's, it's a funny movie. It's, it's, it's a classic tale. If you've never seen A Christmas Story, uh, let me just kind of fill you in on the, the plot of the movie. Is basically you've got this young guy, Ralphie, and he's got this image, this vision of what the perfect Christmas present would be. And it is an official Red Rider carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. Yeah, that's what he wants, and he's going to do anything he can to get this thing, so he asks his mom for it, he writes an essay about it at school, he even asks Santa Claus, but over and over and over again, he gets the same reply from all the grown-ups, which is, all together now, what? You'll shoot your eye out, to which Ralphie's like, no, I won't, and you should watch the movie, because, yeah, maybe the parents were right. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what your favorite Christmas movie is. I start with this because I think that it's really going to tie into something that we're talking about today. Uh, we are in week two of our series called Vital Signs. Vital Signs. And the whole goal is to kind of be on a quest to uh, jumpstart our heart towards God. And there's a lot of things that we could do, like medically speaking, if your heart quit working, you might do different things to jumpstart your heart. Uh, if you quit breathing, you might do some things to jumpstart respiration. Spiritually, the same thing's true. There are some things that we need to do to jumpstart our heart towards God. Last week was week one, and we said the first thing that is really necessary to jumpstart a godly heart is to have a heart of compassion, to practice compassion. And so in the back, uh, Patrick mentioned earlier that there's a table set up uh, for Compassion International, and we did have 10 of those names picked up last week, but what if we could have a few more? And so before you leave today, if you want to take a look at that table or take a look at the Christmas angel tree at the back and show some compassion to some of the kids living in poverty right here in our city and, and maybe just by getting them a Christmas present this year. Uh, and so compassion is certainly a thing that can help jumpstart a godly heart. But this week, I want to talk about something that may be, unfortunately, a little more near and dear to your heart, a topic that I think uh, scans the whole spectrum of things that we're interested in, a topic that at Thanksgiving and Christmas must be discussed because it's vital uh, for the season, and it's the topic of our money, our money. Today, we're talking about money, and in a healthy way. 
We always try to talk about money in a healthy way here at Venture Church because I do know that some churches have abused the ability to talk about money and taken advantage of people, uh, and, and that's not our goal at all. But, um, you know, the, the way that our heart is towards money says a lot about where our heart is towards God. In fact, for some people, God is their money. And I think the thing that we'll find out about money is that money causes some problems. In fact, in the Bible, if we look in the book of 1 Timothy, which is in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, this is a commonly read phrase or passage about our money. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says this, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and they trap and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I, I quoted Timothy there, uh, Paul there. I got to quote uh, another, another great philosopher, uh, the notorious B.I.G. He said, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and I think it's true. That's why today as we talk about vital signs, it's important to talk about our heart towards money, because I think the words that Ralphie heard from Santa Claus can be true about us and our money, you'll shoot your eye out. It's a good thing. It's something that we want to to strive for. It can do great things in the world, but we've got to be careful with how we approach it, how we manage and use our wealth is a huge indicator of where our heart is towards God and where God wants us to be. Uh, Here's the thing about money. Money in itself is not bad. It's not. It's not good either. It's neutral. It's just a thing, like bananas, right? It's just a thing. It's a thing out there. What matters is how we use it and where our heart is while we do. And so I love to get to look to the Bible for answers to life's most important questions with you every week at Venture Church. And uh, so I want to do that again this week. Take a look at some things God says about our money and especially how it can jumpstart a godly heart. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Matthew today, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you can open up there or flip it open on your phone and scroll down. Uh, we also give away free Bibles every week. So if you need a Bible, uh, make sure you grab one before you leave today. There's some near the coffee in the back, and there's also some scattered on the floor underneath your seats. We'll have the scripture on the screen as well. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Uh, Matthew is in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's a biography on the life of Jesus, a very important book of the Bible. We learn a lot of things from Jesus' mouth in the book of Matthew. In fact, uh, in near, near the, the middle chunk of the book of Matthew, we get a lot of teachings from Jesus himself. In fact, there's a large section in Matthew 5 through 7 called the Sermon on the Mount, which is a collection of a lot of Jesus' teachings, perhaps one long sermon, perhaps a lot of different talks that he gave. Um, but we're going to be right there in the middle of that long sermon that Jesus gave, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 and starting at verse 19 because what happens is Jesus tells us something about our money and our heart. Let's check that out. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. This is what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see how Jesus makes this direct correlation about our heart, not like our thump, thump, you know, cardiac heart, but like our heart, our mindset, our, our mind of money has a lot to do with where our mind on God is. As Jesus is addressing this crowd, it's the first century, so 2015 years ago or so, a little bit uh, around that area, and, and Jesus is talking to a crowd of first century Jewish people. 
It's interesting when you think about what he says, he talks about storing up treasures. And, and, and if you look at the context of the people that he's talking to, they're not wealthy people. They're not standing there like rolling in, in you know, gold nuggets. I mean, a lot of these people were actually fairly poor. Yet Jesus says this to them, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Treasures mean different things to different people, don't they? And it was the mid-90s, 1990s, and, uh, and I, had, I had a Red Rider BB gun that I wanted. It wasn't a BB gun. It was another thing. I wanted a Jeep. Oh, man, I wanted a Jeep. All my friends were getting Jeeps and trucks, and they're jacking them up on the big old wheels. I'm from a rural town in eastern North Carolina, man. All my buddies were getting trucks and SUVs, and I'm just drooling over one. Went and got me a job to save up for one. Just couldn't afford one. Our family couldn't afford to buy one. I didn't have the money to buy one. I settled for my dad's, my granddad's 1981 Mazda 626 that was rusting in his backyard. Uh, that's what I got. But I wanted that so bad. I mean, I, it, was, it was sweet. The one I wanted, the, the 1996 Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited. Oh, that sucker was sweet. Leather interior. It's posh, but also V8 engine, four-wheel drive. It's got electric windows, sunroof, whole nine yards. Uh, tech, check this. Mid-90s, okay? A stock CD player. Yeah, that's technology, baby. I mean, we are, we are skipping. We don't even have to fast forward or drive around the block for the song to be over. I mean, you just get ahead, right? This was, this was technology, but I didn't get it. Couldn't afford it. It was a treasure that I really desired. Uh, funny story, f- fast forward. It's now 2015, okay? And uh, for the past two years, my family, we've been uh, one of those one-car families. Any- anybody uh, feeling that? Anybody ever been a one-car family? Yeah, like that's, that's a whole adventure in itself. Like you learn about love when you're a one-car family. And so we're a one-car family. We're getting by. And so we're saving uh, to, get, to get a vehicle. And, and check it out. On Craigslist, I found it. 1996. Jeep Grand Cherokee Limited, leather interior, electric windows and sunroof, four-wheel drive, the V8 option with the towing package, and a CD player. Yeah, paid $1,900 for that puppy. That's right. Here's the thing. Uh, I learned something about Jesus when I bought that truck. He was right when he talked about rust. Yeah. You know, you have a treasure one day, 20 years later, what is it? It's trash. It's on Craigslist, less than $2,000. The things that we treasure one day will one day be somebody else's garbage that they're picking up for parts. Yet people have killed people for cars, have they not? Jewelry, video games, 52-inch flat screen on Black Friday. I will slit your throat if you get in my way. Right? We're crazy when it comes to our stuff, to our treasures. Was it wrong for me to want a new Jeep? No. Is it wrong for you to want a new TV? No, that's, that's fine. I don't think that's the point that Jesus is making here. I think the point that Jesus is making here is this. Treasures on earth are temporary. They're temporary. They, they, they fade away. The, the, the electronics stop working. By the way, the CD player in my truck doesn't play CDs. Barely plays the radio. I got one good speaker. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm thankful for it. It is Thanksgiving. I really am. It, uh, it broke down on the way here, but then I got to start it again. So we're good. <laughs> I think the point Jesus was making is that the treasures on this earth are temporary. And and what that means is you can't rely on them. They don't bring you joy. They can't bring you comfort for very long. They can't bring you peace. Most of all, they can't bring you happiness, lasting joy, or purpose. None of those things come from the treasures of this earth. And 
That's why I think Jesus' solution comes in the second half of his teaching here. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20, he says, But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The way we talk about and manage and use our wealth is a huge indicator of where our heart is. According to uh, census reports and, and estimates by the Federal Reserve last year, or th- this year, um, the total credit card debt in America in the month of October this year, you ready for this? Total national credit card debt in America today, as of October 2015, is $918.5 billion. What? But I got a new, no interest for six months. The average credit card per household, okay? This is average per household. And uh, in the statistics that I'm quoting, I believe it is households that have credit card debt. If you have no credit card debt, you're not considered in this statistic or this estimate. Uh, but in average households with credit card debt, the average debt is $16,000. $16,000. And, and maybe you're one of those uh, that have sixteen, dollars $30,000 of credit card. Maybe you're the one who's like, who are you? Who are you people? What are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. But does this tell us anything about the state of our heart in America? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. An, an old-time actor famously said, we spend money that we don't have on stuff we don't need to buy stuff to impress people we don't know. Isn't that true? Uh, another thing I heard, a little more complicated, stick with this, okay? I've heard it said that when your output exceeds your income, then your outcome will be your downfall. Write that down, think about it, you'll hit it about lunchtime. In other words, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, right? It's a good thing, it's a powerful thing, it can do good things in the world, but it can be dangerous and it can draw us into problems. So here's the problem with the worldly perspective on money and wealth and treasure. It gets us focused on something. It gets us focused on what I'm going to call building our own kingdom. What happens is we begin to lay down these building blocks for our own kingdom. We, we do it all the time. Uh, we want something that's bigger, that's faster, that's nicer, that's newer, the best smelling, the coolest advertisement. That's what we want. In fact, the people, uh, people in this world, we, we go way farther than just our money with this. We begin building bricks. And, and right here, I'm just going to put the brick of stuff. I mean, there's, there's a brick. There's just our stuff. But we do it with people all the time. Like we stockpile influential people into our, our database, into our contact list on our phone. Because, you know, it's, it's good to know people. It's good to know people in the right places. They say it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And we do that to, to pad our ego and our network. Uh, we do this with relationships. Like I want the cutest and smartest and nicest and easiest romance I can get. And then when that fizzles out, I'm looking for a new one, right? Isn't that the mindset? Just listen to the radio. You'll hear it. And so we do that with what we want to call love, though it's not really love. Uh, We do it with our jobs. We do it. uh, We're always looking for a bigger paycheck or a better better promotion. We do it with our homes. Um, We do it when we see an advertisement. Uh, This past week, uh, I've got an iPhone 5. I I love it. I got a couple years ago. And it's a cool phone. And just the other day, I was thinking, man, this is a great phone. Like, it's it's still keeping up. But then I got a, a text message from Verizon. And they told me, guess what? You're eligible for an upgrade. And I was like, ooh, upgrade. So I'm like looking through these. I'm like, look, honey, it's only $100 right now and then like $26 a month. And I'm thinking like, do I need this? Do I, do I? I'm going to write this, phones. That'll be a brick on our wall. Um, here's the problem with this. 
we're never satisfied. We need more bricks. We just need to all become Masons and like not the crazy cult religion thought process, but like people that build with bricks. Like we want to become Masons and, uh, and, and, and this is what happens. Jesus says that these things rot and they decay. These are cracks and they crumble and, and, and they make a mess everywhere and the walls fall down. And you know what this is? This is my kingdom. Well, I'm the king, or you're the king, or you're the queen, right? And this is what we build it on. Jesus says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, and when there's always an upgrade every 16 months for your new phone, and it's not free, even though they tell you that it's free, because you're going to sign a two-year contract. Is the problem in the stuff? No, the problem's in the heart. So what do we do? How do we get this vital sign in check? I think what we do is we take Jesus' advice. We take Jesus' advice. He says, in in the same chapter that we're talking in, in Matthew chapter 6, a few verses later, down in verse uh, 33, this is what we have. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Maybe not, maybe not all these things, but all the things you need. God's going to take care of what you need. And so what he suggests is, what, what if we do this? Put up a new flag. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. But we can't build his kingdom on this stuff, can we? We can't. It doesn't work. That's not how God's kingdom works. It's not built on stuff. It's not built on the temporary. It's built on things that will last. I'm not... I'm not talking about building God's kingdom on stuff. Like one time I was talking to my friend just recently. She was telling me about the church she grew up in. And, uh, and she had grown up in church until she was in her 20s. And then finally she, she was at church one week and she'd had enough hearing from this one uh, minister, preacher that was on the stage talking. And, and this guy for several weeks had been on stage and he had been really kind of browbeating the congregation and telling them what the church really needed to do. And this is what it was. They were trying to raise $6,000, I believe it was $6,000, to buy these crystal and gold goblets to set in a, in like a, I don't know, like a showbox on the stage to like represent communion or something. That was the plan. And that if they didn't do that, like they were being bad Christians and they weren't following God, and he was like, we need this money, we need this money. She was like, okay, if that's what God's all about, then I'm out. She left. She walked away from the church. It was 10 years later when I met her just recently, and she, started, she came here at Venture. They've actually moved out of town since then. But I've been able to talk to them about what God's kingdom is really about, and maybe that's been your experience when churches talked about money. And I don't know the whole story with that church. I'm not going to throw them under the bus. She might have misunderstood. I don't know. But we all know that people in some position of authority in churches have taken the topic of money and use it to their own advantage or use it against what Jesus is talking about. This is not the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about something different. I think he's talking about something more like this. You got a house? You got a house? Great. Awesome. Why don't you invite some people over to your house who need some love? And why don't you have a meal with them and build a relationship with them and talk about God honoring things while you're there? You know what you're doing? You're investing the wealth that you have, your home, into the kingdom of God, and you're showing them some of God's love. Maybe uh, you're friends with influential people. But instead of using them to pad your contact list on your phone, what if you instead went to those influential people and first make sure that they know about God's love? Hey, we're friends. 
Uh, you want to start hanging out, you build a relationship with them. Before long, you're talking to them about things of God and spiritual things. And check this out. This is God's math. We do addition. God does multiplication. God comes in and goes, sweet, I'm so glad that you invested in your friend who happens to be influential. Man, imagine all the people he could influence for God. Wow. Imagine that. You see how you're taking your treasures and you're investing them into the kingdom of God. Maybe you've got a business in town. That's awesome. I'm glad you've got a business in town. I wonder if maybe you could use some of the profits from your business or some space that your business owns for something uh, God's kingdom related. Go to a church in town, to our church or to another church in town and say, listen, uh, you're doing some service in the, pro- the community. Would you like to use our space for that? Or could we become a sponsor for an event that you're doing to help homeless people? Whatever it is. You see how now you're taking these things that God has blessed you with and you're investing them into the kingdom of God. But I believe that it goes beyond that. See, I think that money can be a source of all kinds of evil, but it can also be a force of power for God's work in this world. So step one, probably, is to think about what we all have and say, am I using it for God or am I using it to put my own flag up? That's maybe a point. But I think beyond that, there are some other things we need to do. I think that we need to build some foundational building blocks under what God has given us. And I want to talk about three of these foundational building blocks this morning, that we can begin to build our heart for our treasures on. Recently, I was with my kids, and I bought them some French fries, you know, fast food restaurant, because I'm a really cool dad, and uh, because French fries are God's gift to humans. And so I was like, the perfect storm of awesome. And so we get, we get these French fries, and I hand them into the back seat, and I'm driving. And they're almost gone. I see that they're, they're knocking them out back there. And I'm like, hey, guys, could I get one of your French fries? And I don't remember which one of them said this, but they, one of them reached back, says back to me, uh, no, these are my fries. I'm like, excuse me? It hurts. My truck broke down. I had to jump start it. But I'm like, say what? This, they're whose fries? Who drove you to the place to get the French fries? Who handed them back to you? Who? Who opened your ketchup because your fine motor skills are still developing? Like, <laughs> these are my french fries. Give me one, right? Here's the principle. I believe that the first foundational building block to managing our wealth is understanding this, that we've got to recognize that God is the source of all of our treasure. Just like I was the source of my kids' french fries, God is the source of everything we have. I'm going to put God as a source on this block. I mean, God... God created the world in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth, and he has sustained it. And it was God who breathed life into mankind, and it was God who keeps the universe in motion. And that's why in the New Testament, in the book of James, James 1.17 says this, that every good and perfect gift comes from God above, coming down from the Father, the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And remember, this will totally guide us to completely rethink our wealth because how are we going to start to spend our money and our resources on selfish things and we take the money that God has given us or the treasures that God has blessed us with and then we go to spend it on selfish or even sinful things and all of a sudden you're looking at that going, that's just wrong. I, I can't use this for that. It's a mindset. It's a process. It's a growing phase. And just like I said last week, uh, maybe it's something... Um, no, I'm saying that later today. I get my sermons crossed up. Hold that thought. We've got to recognize God as the source. Um, the second one is this, and I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. The second block to, to, to lay as a foundation for God's kingdom and how we manage our wealth is to seek contentment where you are. Contentment. 
to seek contentment where you are. Isn't that hard? Isn't it hard when, when the world spends millions and millions of dollars trying to convince you that you don't have what you need yet? And you turn on the TV, I mean, Black Friday, like, come on, I, I, wow, like, do I really need all this stuff? But it's 50% off, but I, but I wasn't going to get that to start with. I mean, like, <laughs> but now I have to get it because it's half price because it's a good value. But there's this huge thing about contentment, and it's all throughout the Bible, and contentment is about knowing who God is and knowing that he is enough. The Apostle Paul's talking about something different, a different context, uh, but I, I love the sentence he uses in that context, which is completely applicable here. He says, God says, my grace is sufficient. Like, God gives us love and grace, and that's enough. My grace is sufficient, but uh, we're going to actually back up in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Earlier we read uh, the phrase about, um, about money being a source of, of of all kinds of evil, but I'm going to read the full context of that, and it talks about contentment. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm going to read the rest of it, but can we chew on that for a second? Godliness, like I'm seeking God. We, we call that being a grace, a God chaser here at Venture Church, but I'm seeking God. I'm trying to do things of God, things that honor God. You, you do a little addition here, godliness plus contentment, being satisfied right where I am equals what? What does it say? Godliness and contentment is great gain. Like gain is the goal in the, in, in the commerce world, right? Bottom line gets bigger. The bank account gets larger. God says you want great gain? Add godliness plus contentment. You have great gain. Godliness and contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I have to say this because I think a lot of us grew up around church and, and or even maybe just she had a, a grandmother who just quoted Bible verses and she never opened the thing, but she could quote a Bible verse to make you feel bad about yourself. Like maybe that was your grandma, I don't know. But one phrase you'll hear a lot is that, that money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just want to clarify that. It says that some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced himself with many griefs. And so there's like the equation there, godliness pers- plus contentment equals great gain, or seek money, and the last sentence is there is pierce yourself with griefs. Which one would you rather have? If we're weighing them out on the table, contentment with where you are is a foundational principle, truth. It is a building block for understanding how to manage what God has given us, and so I hope that you can. You remember Ralph's BB gun? You shoot your eye out. How do we keep from shooting our eye out? How do we avoid the potential evils of money? Godliness plus contentment. That's how. That's how, although money is not good or it's not bad, it's neutral. It's all about how you use it and how you talk about it and how you apply it in the world. Godliness plus contentment. Great gain. Chew on that. It it may hit you about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, what that means in your life. But it's a big concept to take in. Uh, So if our first block is God as the source, contentment is a byproduct of this. I finally realized God has got my back. I can trust him. I can trust him, which leads to our third building block. Uh, The third third and final building block for this morning, uh, and maybe there's more building blocks, I don't know, but is this. Commit to kingdom-building habits with your money. Commit to kingdom-building habits with your money. Uh, I'm just going to write habits here. 
All right, habits has one B. I always put too many Bs. Commit to kingdom building habits with your money. Uh, you know, money can exercise a lot of power over our life. And we, we've established that and we know that. And so we've got to take the reins back from money. We've got to say, no, you're not in charge. I'm in charge. And so there are these two principles uh, that govern our habits that I think can help us take the reins back from our money and put power back in our, our side. Uh, and these are the two principles. They are budgeting and giving. Budgeting and giving. No, this is not a financial seminar. This is not, I'm not going to help you set up a 501, you know, what, I mean, I'm trying to say, investment thing for the future. I'm losing it. I'm not going to set you up investments for the future. I'm not going to set you up for your retirement. I'm giving you a principles that God's given us in scripture to help us. They are habits, godly habits, and they start with budgeting and giving. One of these things controls the power of money, and the other one disarms the power of money, and we'll talk about that. And both of these things, budgeting and giving, can give glory to God. So let's just talk about those real quick. First, budgeting. Uh, budgeting is the way of telling your money where to go, where to go. It helps us not only decide uh, when to spend our money, but budgeting helps you decide when not to spend your money, right? It makes it really easy because there are a lot of things that can help us decide where to spend our money. Like we impulses, a lot of times, are the thing that makes us decide where to spend our money. Other things that help us decide how to spend our money are peer pressure and convenience and status, expectations, emotional purchases, convenience, all these things, they roll in and there's the things, but then what we do with budgeting is we say, no, th th you're not charging my money, all these things out here. I'm in charge of my money. I'm going to tell it where to go. It's not going to tell me where to go, and it's going to tell me where not to spend my money sometimes. Because some of these things, emotions and peer pressure and, 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 and influence and um, all these other things that dictate where we spend our money, those things are not seeking godliness and contentment. They're think, seeking the fulfillment of whatever it is that they're seeking. But if we want to seek godliness and contentment, we say, no, I need to base my spending based on the things that I want for God's kingdom and that he wants for his kingdom. Budgeting helps us decide not only where to spend our money, but this is the most important question of budgeting, Why? To spend my money. Like, it would be cool to support every kid who comes to your door knocking on the thing, selling, you know, oranges and wrapping paper and candles. And, and that's really cool. And maybe you've got expendable resources for that. But if you only have a little bit of money to be generous with, you can decide why I'm spending my money. And it's hard sometimes to look really good causes in the eyes. I can't give to everything. But you know what I can give to? Something that furthers the kingdom of God. First, budgeting helps us do an amazing thing with our money. It helps us to decide what to do first. What do we take off the top? You can know where your money going is going. Uh, the, the first thing is budgeting. The second one is giving. All right, you guys understand budgeting enough. I hope you have a budget. I hope it's something that you put in place, uh, not only for expanding the kingdom of God, because I, but also because I think it helps us be better stewards of the blessings God has given us, and we don't wake up at the end of Thursday and wonder where Monday through Wednesday's money went. You're like, well, I don't even know what I bought. How many, how many cups of coffee did I buy? I don't know. I have no idea. The second one is giving. Um, with a good budget in place, you can finally practice giving. Because it can be intentional. You can decide in advance, these are the things I want to bless and be generous to. I want to support a compassionate international child. I'm going to decide in advance, this is where my money is going to go. I'm going to support Vigilant Hope downtown to help homeless people. I'm going to do that because I can decide in advance. And that means I might have to trim some things off of other areas of my spending, right? But I'm going to decide first to give. God actually uses this to teach us one of the most important principles that we can learn in the entire Bible. I said it a second ago. I'll say it again. The most, one of the most important principles in the entire Bible that God wants us to know is this, you can trust me. God wants us to know, you can trust me. 
In fact, he challenges the nation of Israel. In the book of Malachi, he's a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's just talking about some things that are related to building up the kingdom of God. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, God gives this startling statement through the prophet. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there won't be enough room to store it all. Did you catch that? This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Test me in this and see if I won't open up the floodgates. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I won't open up the blessings. Uh, there's a word there. I know a lot of us didn't grow up in, in a traditional church setting. And you might hear the word tithe and think it's a kind of churchy word. And it is. It's something that the, the, the churches have adopted. Uh, tithe is a word it's from an old Jewish principle. And actually, it means tenth. To tithe means to tenth. It means I'm going to take a tenth of my income. I'm going to invest it into the kingdom of God. And Christians didn't make this up. Churches didn't make this up. It's actually from the Jews. They were the first people who made it up. Uh, Churches, or the temple and the priest system in the Old Testament was pretty cool. It was completely supported by the tithes of the nation. And so you've got the priests and the actions of the temple and loving the poor and all the sacrificial system. All of that was financially backed by the community's tithes. Churches do similar things today. That's why we have an offering every week at church. It allows us to support the ministry that God's doing through Venture Church and through the organizations that we support uh, through your tithes and your offerings. And Tithe, uh, you, you can look through the New Testament of the Bible. The tithe principle, 10%, is actually not a direct commandment to Christians. Christians aren't commanded. You must tithe. For the Jews, a tithe was actually the minimum amount that they were expected to share with the kingdom of God. But I think the principle that applies there is this. Set aside an amount in your mind, in your heart, in your, your spiritual trust of God. Set it aside for the kingdom of God. And God says, test me in this. See if I don't break open the floodgates of heaven. More than you can even store. I challenge you to test God. Set aside a percentage of your income to invest in the kingdom of God. Uh, it might seem like a lot, but pick something that you can do to trust God with. It doesn't have to be by compulsion or by a guilt trip. That's actually why I'm addressing this the way that I am today. Uh, I love in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says this, that each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. He wants people to give gladly out of their heart. Um, and if you believe in what Venture Church is doing and the ministry that we do here, uh, and, uh, and you want to support our ministry through your tithes and offerings, do that. We've got a bucket in the back every week that we collect in. You can set up online giving and, and do stuff electronically. But here's the thing I want to challenge you with. If you've been hurt by church and you're a little bit skeptical when people talk about money at church, don't feel like you've got to give to Venture. I don't want you to miss out on the blessings of knowing what it means to trust God. Pick a God-honoring organization that's going to further the kingdom of God somewhere in this world, a missionary, a nonprofit here in town, somebody, and say, God, I want to trust you with this money, and I'm going to, set, I'm going to budget it. I'm going to create habits every month, every paycheck, whatever you do, every quarter, whatever, and I'm going to set this aside. See what God does. Pray about it. Do it from a godly heart. Do it from a cheerful heart. You know, kingdom-building habits can be hard to develop. They really can. And maybe you don't have a budget. Maybe you don't have the practice of giving. Uh, there's an old Chinese proverb that says this. The best time to plant an oak tree is 20 years ago. <laughs> Second best time to plant an oak tree is today. And so maybe as this whole kingdom of yours may be a little bit crazy and crumbling, maybe, maybe what you can be challenged to do today as you want to jumpstart 
a godly heart is to say, let's take a check on my vital signs of how I feel about my treasures. What are the foundational building blocks of how I use the things that God's blessed me with? Do I recognize that God is the source? Am I learning what it means to be content and combine that with godliness? And am I developing habits that are kingdom building? Money is a tricky trap. It really is. It can be the root of all kinds of evil. You can shoot your eye out if you're not careful. But Jesus says this, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me pray for us today. God, we love you, and it's just, uh, I'm blessed beyond measure, even with my old Jeep. I, I just, I'm glad to get people's ride, rides in it and, and help out pulling trailers or whatever I need to do. You've you blessed me with even that. And Lord, I pray this season of, of giving and, um, and generosity that those who have none or less might be blessed by those who have more. Um, Lord, may we all treasure the things that we have been blessed with each time and know that you're the source. Find contentment in that and learn to trust you. Got a prayer over this family that we have here today. Um, it's the week after Thanksgiving, and I know that a lot of our, our, our guests and things that might not normally be here, um, there are a few of those, and, and this is more of a core group of who Venture is. Uh, I praise you for the faithfulness of so many people that have allowed us to all combine our treasures and make a difference in this kingdom here in this city. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.